Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck, and welcome to the HQ, a CHA Learning and Healthcare Can podcast serial where we dive into the healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack these topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. Over the past two years, we have been inundated with media about health and healthcare. During much of this time, It has focused on COVID-19, pandemic numbers reported daily, and ever-changing policies as our world and communities have grappled with containing the virus. But there was always another narrative running through this about the impact all of this was having on our healthcare system, and indeed many of the policies that have been developed over the past two years have been presented in terms of how we can protect our health system and facilities from becoming overwhelmed. Increasingly, this narrative has been morphing and moving away from the inanimate parts of the health system, away from discussions of PPE, beds, ventilators, and ICU capacity, to the impact all of this is having on the people who work in healthcare and the two-front crisis our system is facing. The health and wellness of these workers and the shortage of people who make and deliver our health system. The two issues are intricately linked, and by all accounts, they are not singular in their cause or solutions. Here on the HQ, I want to use this platform to look at things from different perspectives as we try to understand other facets that might not have been discussed. Consider, what is it like to be a healthcare leader during the pandemic? And when we talk about shortages of people, why are we talking about immigration and how it can help us out of this crisis within our own country? So today, in this special two-part episode, I'm joined by Kristen Winter, Vice President of Human Resources, Workforce Optimization and Leadership at Sunnybrook Health Science Centre in Toronto. Hi, Kristen, and welcome to the HQ. Hi, thanks for having me, Dale. Appreciate it. So, Kristen, as we set uh, the stage here and get ready to dive into the discussion today, um, maybe you can help frame it a little bit about how does a person like yourself end up being the vice president of human resources at a large academic health science center in Canada? Uh, that's a great question that um, I ask myself on a regular basis. How did I get here? Um, but thrilled that I, I get to be here uh, every day. Uh, you know, I, I went to university for um, uh, in communications and sociology. I love the idea of people and how people interacted with each other and how they responded to each other, uh, and I thought I, I needed to figure out a way to have a career in that. Um, and then I uh, did a postgrad diploma in human resources, uh, and then subsequent to that, um, in the last five years, completed a master's in education and leadership. Uh, and then I essentially just worked my way up. You know, I started. <laughs> I joke with people as uh, uh, that are starting in their career. I started in the mailroom, um, working for uh, Hydro, and um, and slowly had an opportunity to explore all different uh, industries, um, from private sector and then into healthcare. And every step I took, I I sort of had an opportunity to be exposed to different areas of HR, uh, and ultimately landing myself uh, in the vice president role here at Sunnybrook. Um, I love healthcare. I love working in healthcare. And, you know, despite the incredible challenges we've had over the last two years, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And I certainly wouldn't want to be anywhere other than Sunnybrook. It's, a, it's an amazing organization. Uh, we do amazing things here. Uh, and I'm incredibly proud to be the VP of the people that care for the patients and their families that come here every day. 
Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, it's uh, certainly reflect on my own career, and there's no way I would ever imagine that I ended up where I am. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I always uh, uh, look envious at people who've taken a sort of a straight path to something that they've dreamed of doing when they were 10 years old. Um, so, Kristen, we've all heard or seen the impacts of COVID on the healthcare system, and especially on the workers who are at the front lines. Uh, I know for me and for so many of my colleagues, uh, it's a heart-wrenching stories that we see and hear every day. But I'm struck that we don't hear about how it's affecting people like yourself and roles like yourself. So maybe we could start the conversation um, about what is it like to be a healthcare leader during a pandemic? So, I mean, I, it's a great question and you're right, we don't ask it um, a lot and, and appropriately we give the time and attention to the roles that are frontline caring for the patients. And certainly in wave one, um, you know, that was important because we really didn't understand what COVID was or how it transmitted and, and trying to understand that and give a sense of, of calmness to uh, our staff was was probably one of, if not the most important thing that we could do as leaders. And so I guess I would start there, which is um, making decisions, quick snap judgment decisions, often in a space that was really new and um, unknown to all of us as leaders. So uh, we were we are being looked upon to have the answers as we do as leaders where it's often our responsibility to have the answers to the questions, whether they be easy or hard questions. Uh, and, and during, you know, wave one, um, and then most recently in, with the Omicron wave, really not having the answers because everything was sort of unfolding as we were learning it and trying to figure it out and then trying to respond accordingly. Um, so it was hard. And I, you know, the best analogy I can give, it's like leading in a fishbowl because everybody is watching what you're doing. And as you do your backflips, people are watching and they're either um, cheering you on or challenging your, your thought process. And in all honesty, it's, it's about being incredibly honest and transparent and being candid when we didn't have the answers and being able to say to our staff, we don't have the answers, but we're trying to figure them out. And I think that's been a big part of the lesson here is being comfortable in the space of saying, I don't know. As a leader, we're, you know, we're, we're typically like type A perfectionists. We want to do everything that we can. We want to do it correctly and we want to do it well. Um, and that's often how we've landed ourselves in these roles. And in the space of COVID over the last two years, it's been challenging to be able to have all the answers. And sometimes we've had to pivot. I mean, many times we've had to pivot and say, hang on a second, that decision we made two weeks ago made sense two weeks ago, but it doesn't make sense anymore. And things changed so quickly um, that we were having to do that on a regular basis. And so it felt as leaders like we were a bit of a yo-yo. And quite frankly, it probably felt for our frontline staff like we were you know, being indecisive. And the reality is, is things were changing as rapidly as they were, particularly both in wave one and then again with the Omicron variant. We were, we were being asked to make those quick changes um, to a place where it was sort of feeling a little bit like we were dizzy on the regular basis. So I think the hardest part has been has been that. And I think the second piece in healthcare, we tend to be pretty collaborative. We tend to seek opinions of many people before we make you know decisions, before we make changes. And during various periods of the last two years, this pandemic has forced us to take a bit of a 
in a positive way, but a bit of a command and control decision-making and leadership style. And that's not a typical healthcare leader style uh, as a general rule of thumb, obviously I'm generalizing, but um, you know, having to take that command and control and say, no, we're not doing this. We're doing this. Here's how it's going to work. These are the steps we're taking. You need to move forward and, and not really getting any space for um, deep or daily uh, and rigorous discussion before we make a long decision. And of course, we did our best to be collaborative um, as we could, but sometimes decisions were being made at 11 o'clock at night so that we could make sure that we had enough staff on the unit or we had enough um, enough resources. Uh, you know, we were making decisions on, you know, every day was a work day. There, there, was, uh, there was no day off. Um, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, the stats that followed that this year with Omicron were days that, like any other, were working days for all of us, or many of us, certainly. And, you know, I think, you know, it's, you have to step in and just kind of make the decisions that you have to, to make sure that everybody is as okay as we possibly can. So I think um, that's probably a really long answer to a short question, but I think, you know, it's, it's been really tough because we've all had to change our leadership style. Um, to modify or to accommodate whatever COVID has thrown at us throughout the last two years. And it's been different throughout the two years. It's not been consistent, which is challenging. Yeah. So this, I mean, a few things that come to mind in, in terms of what you've just been saying. I mean, one is with the shifting policies and the changes, the yo-yo as you describe it, I mean, does that sort of lead to an erosion of trust or a change in terms of how people sort of respect, you know, things that are coming from you or, or for your colleagues? You know, I think it, it's, I think there's certainly risk of that. Um, you know, my sense here at Sunnybrook is that we we didn't have that. And, and I think there's a couple of reasons why we were relatively successful. And we were not perfect because I don't think anybody was perfect because COVID was new and uncertain and nobody's perfect in a state, in a space that's unknown. Um, but one of the things that we did throughout the pandemic and we morphed it um to accommodate the way staff wanted to hear from us but we regularly communicated with our staff could we have been better sure i'm sure we could have been better um but we did town halls so for a long time we did weekly town halls so we asked staff to come forward with every question they could think of and we would answer those questions sometimes on the fly um and we were able to give them as many answers as we could and You know, I think I said at the beginning, like, if we weren't able to give those answers, we were really honest and said, like, we're not sure. We're going to look into that. That's a great question. We really appreciate that question. But let us get let us get the answer for that uh, and then come back to you. And then following up with regular communication to uh, to our staff, Uh, we have an online um, uh, portal uh, through our intranet uh, that allowed staff to sort of review frequently asked questions and be able to get them. Uh, And then we had, uh, I have a blog um, at Sunnybrook called Ask Kristen. And when employees have a question about anything, quite honestly, um, lots of questions come in um, and they come directly to my inbox and I actually answer them personally. And I I aim to kind of have an answer back within 24 hours if, if I can, or at least to a form of communication back to the employee to say, like, I'm looking into it. Um, and so we've, uh, you know, we try to keep the lines of communication open. Um, our CEO is um, incredibly uh, outgoing and um, very on the ground. He regularly visits the units um, and often one of the other executives will go with him and, and have frontline 
um, conversations with our staff. There, there was a moment, and I don't remember what wave it was, to be honest, but there was a moment uh, where we had a unit that had a couple outbreaks. They had a couple outbreaks over the, over the span of a couple months, and it was to no fault of anybody's. It just happened the way it happened, and um, the staff were feeling a little frustrated, I would say, and a little down that they were in outbreak again. And it, being an outbreak means a variety of things. But, um, you know, there is a layer of fear and, and being scared when you're in a, in a state of outbreak. And um, it was a Friday. I don't know why I remember this so vividly, but it was a Friday. And I remember the PCM, our patient care manager, um, reaching out to one of our executive vice presidents and saying, you know, the staff are, are frustrated. And so two EVPs and myself went up to the unit and we just stood on the unit and we, we stood with the staff um, for what felt like an hour. I'm sure it wasn't because and staff came and went and cared for the patients as they needed to. And um, but we stayed with the staff and we just talked to them and we answered the questions that they had and um, we helped them understand uh you know, why they were on outbreak or what, what that meant. And we heard their fears and we heard their questions and we made sure that they understood that we heard them. We did a lot of listening, um, but we also did a lot of talking in terms of answering their, answering their fears. Um, that's one example, but we did that countless times when we changed protocols or when we were doing tracing of staff or staff became positive and staff on the unit were concerned that maybe they'd been exposed. And again, like a lot of this was wave one and the uncertainty of where we were at. Um, we went to the units we stood there for as long as we needed to stand there and we answered their questions as much as we possibly could. Again, were we perfect? No, I'm sure we weren't. And I'm sure that there are staff that would say, look, this could have been done better. And, and we'll reach out and we'll hear that from staff. We did an engagement survey um, and we're continuing to do those sort of check-ins. Um, but I think those are ways we were able to maintain trust by just being as vulnerable with them as they were with us. It's a... <clears throat> It's interesting to hear. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm wondering. You know, did you see yourself in a position where you were, I think, protecting? I guess a, a healthy culture that was already in existence at Sunnybrook, or were you creating a different culture that was responsive to what was happening around us? That's a great question. I mean, I, I would say that probably a little bit of both. I mean, Sunnybrook always had a fantastic culture. It was one of the things that attracted me to coming to work here at Sunnybrook was the the, the culture and the engagement, the kindness that we see across the organization in roles from our environmental service partner to our food services worker um, through to our clinical, our clinical teams and our physicians. There's just a gr great deal of kindness and, and respect for every role that everybody plays here, regardless of the role you play and regardless of, you know, your salary or your title. But, um, you know, my style for sure is to, is to be out there. And I like to spend time with the staff. I like to understand what they do. I like to understand their jobs. Um, uh, I think it's important as a leader um, to understand all of the components of, of the organization. So, so I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think there was definitely a culture here already that was really, really strong. But I think it's much easier to um, to lose that than it is to build it back up. Um, it's like when you're in first place, uh, it's a lot it's a lot harder to keep first place than it is to be in third and move your way up to first. Um, 
And so I think from, from a culture perspective, I think it was, it was very intentional and we have an amazing um, communications team that's led by my colleague, um, our vice president of communications. And um, they, they just, they get it and they get, uh, they get how and, and the best way to communicate and the multi, the multiple approaches to communication. So if Zoom doesn't work for people, then you do it in writing. And if writing doesn't do it, then you do it on social media. And if social media doesn't do it, you do it on posters. And so um, making sure that we were doing it, we were communicating in every way possible, um, I think was really, really important uh, to our staff so that they, you know, if they were casual and they were only working, you know, one shift a week, they were, they were not missing out on the, on the frontline visit from, you know, our CEO and from myself. Yeah, keeping everybody engaged in the, in a meaningful way and keeping it fair, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, these perceptions that we we go through where life certainly doesn't seem very fair to a lot of people right now. So, um, for sure. So, in your role as as a as a people leader, if we can use that word, um, is it different than um, for some of your colleagues who are, say, clinical leaders within different spaces? They have different responsibilities and, and different uh, operational requirements. So what's it like to be, uh, you know, responsible for people when people are at the front of all what's happening? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, I've been in health. I've been in human resources now for uh, almost 25 years. And when I started in HR, um, we were actually just morphing from the term being in personnel to being in human resources, I guess I'm dating myself a little, but, um, you know, we now all of a sudden, you know, people, people were always very, very important, but certainly, um, the attention has, uh, has gotten significantly larger in the last two years. And so I think there's an enormous, uh, amount of pressure uh, and stress associated with feeling like you've got the weight on your shoulders. Um, I'm really fortunate because I get to work with uh, colleagues, both uh, both my team, the people that uh, report to me, that I consider to be my colleagues uh, in in my areas of expertise in HR and occupational health and infection prevention and control, um, along with a number of other uh, areas. But um, uh, I also have amazing executive colleagues who I can lean on and who never made me feel like I owned it by myself. And always were able to sort of say, okay, well, let's think about this from a perspective of the people, but also the clinical perspective, or um, what what are we looking at from an infection prevention and control perspective, and how does that intertwine? And I think, you know, um, although I'm responsible for the people, you know, we we what we've learned in the last two years, if we didn't already know it, and I think in healthcare we were pretty good at this, but I think we've gotten significantly better. Um, is the collaboration that you have to have between, you know, um, the executive vice president and chief nurse and the executive vice president and chief physician. Um, the three of us, uh, along with my VP colleague who, you know, runs communications, like the four of us all really just sort of became this group of people that sort of made those decisions. So I never really felt alone. I always had someone I could say, this is what I'm thinking. Does it make sense? Or this is what I'm thinking. And does that work from a clinical perspective? Cause I don't have a clinical background and can we make that work on the unit or, you know, we have to implement handing out masks, which was like such a big deal back in wave one. And how do we, how do we hand out masks? And 
well, okay, so what does that look like from a, somebody who's working a 12-hour shift or somebody who's working on the weekends or how does that happen? And just like how you operationalize that. And, um, you know, that's not a decision that solely lands on one executive because there's so many components and so many complexities to every decision we made in the last two years. So, I mean, I, I, I guess, yes, of course, I was responsible for the people and, and ultimately, especially from an occupational health and safety perspective, particularly with the Omicron wave and um, and, and how, how many staff were off sick and not necessarily um, horribly ill, but still not able to work and the challenges that that, that brought, which was obviously quite significant different from wave one through two and three. Um, but I never felt alone. I never felt like I was doing this alone. I'm, I'm incredibly lucky that I get to work with amazing people and, and they had my back every step of the way. It's, it, it strikes me that you're describing the, I mean, interprofessionalism right from the, from, you know, the top, right. Sort of perspective. That's what we seek, you know, at, at all levels of our, of our, um, our healthcare system, um, but you, you as a team, sort of had to represent it and demonstrate it. So, um, so, I mean, what are you seeing with respect to your staff um, right now? I mean, what are you? I mean, you've described a little bit of you know through different sort of waves about the fear and and other kinds of emotions that were coming through. Um, you know, two years in, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, I think I think like everybody in society, we're all pretty tired and we're all pretty, um, I think it's fair to use the word fed up. It, you know, it feels like, okay, are we done with this yet? It's been two years and when is this going to be over? Um, and I think there's a balance between, in healthcare, I think you've got that kind of thought process in society. Like, when can I go back to, you know, not wearing a mask? Or when can I go back to, you know, having all my family watch my child at their dance recital or or the hockey game or when can we have you know um you know when can we have people cheering the Leafs on or the Raptors or or whatever the case may be um so I think there's that component I think the other piece that's really challenging for healthcare workers it's unique for for those that are in healthcare um is is there going to be another wave what comes next and the fear that if we do start to live our lives the way we did in 2019, um, when we start to uh, you know get back to a state of normal, whatever that whatever that is, um, is that going to bring another wave? And are we going to be back into this? And I think I think it's it's incredibly challenging as a healthcare worker because you're constantly balancing those two mindsets. And when you're in your personal life and you're surrounded by family and friends who haven't um, lived. The pandemic in the in the way you've lived it, you you spend a great deal of time living in that mindset. Like I want this over, and I want to get back to normal, and I just want to have a, a normal life. Um, and then you come to work, and you know you see COVID patients, you see sick people. You you know the numbers maybe they they go up a little, or or you know the government makes makes a, a change to um, you know things like vaccine mandates, and and you have this little blip or this little like gut reaction like oh no is this going to be another wave and I think for staff um there's that sense of fear and I think you have to so park those two sort of competing minds if you will um and and then add to that just exhaustion um 
I mean, that's the understatement of the century, in my opinion. You know, um, it, we're, we're past exhaustion. Um, we're deep into the realm of burnout. And how do we, you know, how do we get um, people back to a place where they love coming to work and they love they love doing what they get to do and they they don't have fear and they don't have concern and um, and and how do you give them that appropriate break? And all of that is happening at the same time where despite COVID issues, we have, um, you know, an, an H, what we're referring to as an HHR challenge or, you know, a gap in the workforce that's available to provide support and care for the patients that we need to care for. Um, so I feel a little bit like as a, as a leader, I feel like the, the weight of the world is on our shoulders. And as individual healthcare workers, um, you know, it's it's hard to see the forest through the trees. It, you know, you're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and pardon all the uh, analogies, but you're starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel and, and the fear is what if that light goes out? And and how do we get through wave six? Is that where we're at? I can't even remember, but if if, if it is, yeah. uh, how do you get through wave six? And um, uh, and what does that and what does that look like? So I think, you know, I think there's so many things sort of happening. Um, and, and then there's this, this level of uncertainty and, and and can we travel and what does that look like and how complicated is it to travel? And so how do people get a legitimate break? Um, not suggesting that travels for everybody by any means, but you know, how do we get a legitimate break? Um, and how do we make sure our staff are able to get a break and then come back rejuvenated? And how long does that take? And so many things that are just unknown um, because we've never been through this before. We've never been through this level of exhaustion um, and burnout before. And so, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough, it's a tough question to answer and it's a tough situation to be in and sort of try and take one day at a time, but some days are good and, and some days are, are harder. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you do worry whether this is just a mirage, right? Any sort of end to these things. And, and every time we hope, right, it, it seems threatened by something else. And yeah, I, we're not sitting on a beach, you know, being buffeted by big waves once in a while. We're, I think we're finding ourselves in an ocean where the waves are sort of eternal. Um, so, um, so, I mean, I, I guess also I, I, I listen to that and I'm around the burnout sort of discussions. And, and I do wonder whether an interesting metric, you know, would be how much unused vacation time um, organizations and individuals are sitting on, um, which, you know, is, is a, a lagging indicator, obviously, for how, you know, people have been working over time and, and through this, um, and not just through a normal, but through a, a very stressful period of, of life and not getting breaks. Um, so, I mean, how do you, how do you see yourself coming through this, even personally, Kristen, um, taking care of yourself? Because I know, you know, from stories and conversations that we've had that, yes, you're, you're working there, you know, evenings, you're on, you know, on weekends, you're working on holidays, um, which doesn't make you a martyr, but it certainly makes you a human that's, you know, worked a lot. So how are you going to come back to normal? I hope you've enjoyed part one of our episode on the psychological wellness of leadership during the pandemic. Please tune into part two of this episode to hear Kristen's response and more of our candid conversation, how wellness isn't a one-size-fits-all, and about how healthcare and our leaders will emerge from the pandemic.